So, like I mentioned before in the announcements, this is the beginning of the, of the Advent season, and we're also beginning our new uh, sermon series. Um, all actually, when I mean, we're actually talking about Advent, and I'll be honest, um, really before you know, I came to Project Re Three, Advent is really something I didn't really know much about. Um, but literally, um, the um, the Latin for Advent literally means arrival. So the Advent season is celebrated. Uh, to celebrate the arrival of the Christ, to celebrate the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah and Savior. And I think that's honestly something that we can take for granted because of when we were born. You know, I think our salvation, I think our grace, I think having access to the throne and access to um, the presence of God and, and all the victory and all the promises that Jesus has given us I know for me, sometimes I take those things for granted. I take, I take all the things that, that Christ's death on the cross bought us for granted because we've always had access to them. But for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, the, the Jewish people didn't know what happened to them when they died. They didn't know, they, they, they hoped and they trusted that God was going to preserve them and take care of them, but there really was no formal teaching in the Old Testament about heaven or hell or anything like that. They, they didn't know. And they had to, to give constant sacrifices to, to maintain um, right, you know, in right standing with God. There was this, there were, because of them having to go to the temple and, and slaughter doves and lambs and other animals, there was this constant reminder of their separate, that their sin separated them from God and that these animals were dying in their place because their sin, because the wages of their sin was death. And so... For thousands of years, there were prophecies about this Messiah who would come and, and tear the veil and, and, and be the ultimate, be, the, be the, the sacrificial lamb to make everything right again and, and, to, to, and to bring everlasting hope. And we have the benefit of that Savior has already come. We've never had to live without that hope available to us. And that's why we celebrate Advent. And so, it, it, you know, I don't know if you, on, on, online if you can see, but there's, five Advent candles, and that the five Advent candles separate peace, joy, love, and hope, and then the middle candle is the Christ candle, because Christ came, scripture, scripture says that Christ is our living hope, that as long as Christ is alive, and Christ is eternal and forever, we will always and forever have hope, love, joy, and peace, and we get to celebrate those things. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. We're going to be talking about that for the Christmas season. Is, is if you look at um, the Christmas story and you look at the lives of, of, of Elizabeth and Zechariah and you look at the lives of Mary and Joseph and, and even the, the Magi and the, and the shepherds and how their lives were forever and suddenly changed. Where was hope and joy and love and peace in their situation? You know, where, where, where do they find these things when their life was suddenly and drastically changed in an instant? Similar to the situation we find ourselves in now, where, the, where in a matter of a few months, the world was completely changed by this pandemic that started across the ocean. And in three months, the whole world was shut down, and we're still kind of, you know, reeling from the effects of that. 
how can we find peace and hope and love and joy in a time when our lives have drastically changed pretty quickly? And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story and looking at these different families and seeing where we can find these things. And so this week we're going to be starting with hope. So I'm going to go and open us up in prayer, and we're going to go ahead and, and dive in. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are our living hope. We thank you that you are in heaven, on the throne, with air in your lungs and a pulse, that you are alive right now. And as long as you are alive, we have reason to hope. We have, we have reason to expect your goodness in all situations. That your mercy is real and it's tangible. I thank you that your word is on my, on my lips. I thank you that you have something to say this morning. I thank you that you have something you want to do in each and every one of us. And we just give you permission to, do, to have free reign and do whatever you want to do this morning, Jesus. In your name, amen. So I have a confession to make. And that confession is that a lot of times I use the words faith and hope almost interchangeably. You know, almost as if they're synonyms, so they're, they're, as if they're, they're kind of, they mean the same thing. And they really don't. They, they're, they're actually two separate words. And so um, I, I did a little digging, and I did some research. And now, granted, faith and hope are, are kind of two sides of the same coin, because faith and hope both um, have trust and confidence at their core. So, you, so faith and hope both have to do with trusting, and, and, and obviously we're talking about having faith and hope in the Lord. So you're, you, tr- you have trust and confidence in the Lord and who he says he is and what he says he's going to do for us. So we trust him and we have confidence. But faith and hope look very differently. So to give you an example, um, when you look at all the scripture that has to do with faith, and there's a lot of it, faith is trust in action. So you have things like you took a leap of faith. You took a step of faith. Um, you have Paul, where Paul talks about faith without works is dead. Uh, you have Jesus, where he says the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. You have James that says um, the faith of the righteous person will heal the sick. And so you can see from there that faith Oh, and you also have Isaiah who talks about standing firm in your faith, and if you don't stand firm in your faith, then you won't stand firm at all. So even standing firm is trust in action. So so faith, is if, if faith is present in our lives, faith is going to manifest in action. Hope is different. Hope, on the other hand, is trust in rest. If you look in the, in the scriptures, and you actually look, um, I'm, I'm that guy who likes to look at the Greek and the Hebrew, and if you look in the Greek and the Hebrew, there's actually one Greek word for hope, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, and there's actually about five Hebrew words for hope, which I'm definitely not even going to try to pronounce. But something that all six of these words, spanning these two different languages, have in common is all of these words for hope have to do with expecting, waiting for, and looking for. Expecting, waiting for, and looking for. If faith is trust in action, hope is trust 
in rest. And that's incredibly important to understand the difference. Because there's a, there's a time to step in faith. There's a time to, for action. And sometimes there's a, there's a time to sit down and wait for God to move. Sometimes we have to take action and sometimes we have to do nothing and wait for God to do the work for us. Personally, I love faith. <laughs> I love doing things. I love being in action. I, I, love, I love being able to feel like I have, you know, at least one hand on the wheel. Hope, I'm not a big fan of hope, personally, if I'm honest. Because I don't like waiting. I don't like knowing there's n- that I am powerless in this situation and that God is my only hope. It's a very vulnerable place to be. It's a very intimate place to be. That's what love is. That's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about how important hope is. Because if you think about it, even even as in a society, you know, think about, you know, we love talking about faith. We love we love talking about how like okay, the the call to action. What are we going to do with our faith? But we don't like talking about waiting for God. We don't like talking about the times in our lives when there's really nothing you can do but wait for him to show up. That's not as glamorous. That doesn't, that doesn't sell as many books. But it, how many of us can think back to times of our lives and know, like, and think of times like that in our lives? Think about, think about situations we were in. I can think back, I can look back in times in my life and see that, that hope is one of those things that you don't really realize you need until you need it and you don't have it. And you're stressed and you're anxious and you're riddled with fear because you have nothing tethering you to the ground. And so we look at Romans, um, we look at Romans 5.4 and Paul talks about how, how hope is actually something that's developed in us. Hope is not one of those things you just get at salvation. Hope, like any other muscle, like any other character trait, has to be developed in us. And so there's, there's, there's days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years of grace to cover us. Because again, like, like anything else, anything you learn, anything you develop, you do it through failure. So you go into a situation and you just get your lunch eaten by anxiety and fear. And then you leave the situation and you go, man, that was awful. I never want to experience that again. I never want to live like that again. And then you go to the scriptures and you read about how God is like a father who loves to give us good gifts. And you read about David who looked to the mountains waiting for the Lord to show up and rescue him from his enemies. And you hear about how Jesus fed the 5,000 and provided in a way that no one else could provide before or paid his taxes by catching a fish and how God is the God of impossible. And then you go into another situation and you get your lunch eaten again. (laughs) You're still stressed out. But then you look at those scriptures and you lean on those scriptures a little bit and you realize that God is still the God of, of, of hope. And you, and you go into those, that, that adversity and you go into that hardship again and again because Paul says it's through suffering and adversity that brings us perseverance. We develop grit to not bail out in the middle of hardship. And in the perseverance, we get character to maintain integrity in the midst of difficulty, to maintain integrity 
when it's hard and when we're scared and when we think we have to take care of ourselves. And then that integrity brings us hope. And so we see that hope is developed in us over time and is tested over years. In fact, it's the adversity that, that keeps us tethered to our reality. And what our reality is is really up to us. Without hope, our reality is whatever our circumstances say they are. The thing about circumstances is they change by the day. One day your circumstances may be great, and then tomorrow your world is turned upside down. But the beautiful thing about the reality of God is it's never changing. His promises don't change. His character never changes. Who he is never changes. And when I was looking at the Hebrew words for hope, um, there's one word, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, there's one word um, that there's actually a form of that word in Hebrew that also means cord. And so I don't think it's an accident or a coincidence when the author of Hebrews talks about their hope being an anchor for their soul. That our hope literally keeps us tied to the ground. And granted, our hope may feel strained. Our hope may feel frayed. Our hope may feel like it's a string and not a cord. But over the years, we tie knots in it to hold on. We, we mend it back up after it's been cut. And over the years, our cord gets stronger. And it gets tattered and it gets ugly. But it gets stronger. And then one day, we realize that the things that used to, to stress us out, used to, used to send us spinning, was used to cause us to tailspin, aren't bothering us as much anymore. We're more anchored in the reality of God's promises. And then you see what I, Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, uh, verse 31, 31, where he says that those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. How many of you know how exhausting it is to be stressed out? Anxiety is exhausting. It's like those old commercials, like the hair, the, the hair club for men, when the guy's like, not only am I the president, I'm their biggest customer. It's like, I know. <laughs> I know how exhausting stress and anxiety is. It drains you. So, I mean, th there's, there's all sorts of teachings about what Isaiah was talking about, how like the, those who hope in the Lord renew their strength, but but I'm pretty practical. You're just not as tired when you're not stressed. <laughs> you just have more strength when things don't to eat your lunch all the time. You literally, hoping in the Lord helps you to marshal your strength for the things you can actually do something about and not be stressing about things you have no control over. Because it's just exhausting. It's exhausting. So hope is beautiful and vulnerable and hard and takes time to develop. And, and you fail, and then you fail again, and then you think you're, you're, you have hope, and then you realize you don't have as much hope as you need, you, have, you need. And that's how hope is built. And that's what makes hope beautiful. And so today what we're talking about, we're, we're reading about the story of, of John the Baptist's parents. We're, we're talking about um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And to give you some, some context, um, they've been praying for a child. And so um, we don't know how old they are, but Scripture says they're past childbearing years. So 
Um, we don't know how old they are, but, but apparently at that time and that, and that place in society, they were past the point when anyone would expect them to have children. And so Zechariah is a priest in the temple. So, he's, so one day he's at work, and they've cast lots for who's going to go into the temple and, and minister at the altar. And, he, and his number comes up. So he goes in to burn incense at the altar while everyone is outside uh, praying and worshiping. And, and then this, this happens. We're going to pick up in, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We're going to pause right there. You can get some mild to have an experience like that. I mean, you know, for, for any parent, imagine if that had happened before your kid was born. One, it's kind of a lot of pressure. But two, that's incredible. How many of you, myself included, have thought, man, like, I would love to have, like, a burning bush or the Lord or an angel appear and, and tell me what's going on. And Zechariah gets it. He gets the angel appearing to him and telling him that he and his wife's prayers have been answered. They're going to have a son. And not only are they going to have a son, they're going to have an awesome son. Here's Zechariah's response. Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, before we get critical of old, good old Zechariah here, you know, it's really easy to sit here and read this and go, well, if an angel appeared out of nowhere and told me something, I would believe him. You would think that. But you've got I me. Mean, but, but look at history. Look at you, you look at the Israelites who were led in the desert by fire at night and by the cloud during the day, who were given you know manna and quail every day. But then when the time came for them to take the promised land, they didn't have faith that the Lord would give it to them. And so here, you have a man who had obviously been waiting for something that he and his wife wanted for so long. He had become doubtful, and maybe a little cynical and maybe lost some hope. He'd been waiting, he'd been waiting for something for a long time and got tired of waiting. But the problem is he got so he got to the point where even when an angel appears to him in the temple and told him all this stuff, he couldn't hear it. He couldn't receive it. And even and even when an angel tells him all these things, he's he's saying well, how can I be sure of what you're saying? 
and the angel didn't prove anything. The angel didn't argue with him. He gave him his credentials, told him he was Gabriel. He stood in the presence of God, and he's just going to keep his mouth shut for the next nine months. And we don't know, you know, the, the thing about scriptures, we, we don't know a lot of details. Um, for all we know, he got home and Elizabeth figured out what happened and she was overjoyed. I mean, for all we know, you know, we, we don't know. But if I had to guess, <clears throat> I had to, I, if I had to guess, maybe he had lost hope, but she hadn't. And so, really, he was there because of Elizabeth's prayers. But the real question is, the real question that, that I've always thought was interesting about the story is, why did he silence him? You know, there, there's, there's, you know, there, you know, God's a pretty creative guy. There's lots of ways that he could have disciplined Zechariah for his lack of faith. Why? Why would he silence him? Let me ask you this. How many of you believed something? How many of you had hope in something? Maybe a dream that you felt like was from the Lord. Uh, maybe you felt like you had a word from the Lord about something. Maybe, even you, maybe you just had a God idea that you were excited about. And you were so excited about it, you ran out and you, tell, you told someone about it. And that person was a realist. I'm just going to throw that word out there. That person was a realist. And they squashed your dream. In the name of realism, they squashed the dream. And you abandoned it. You, you, you walked away from your dream. You walked away from that word. You walked away from that promise because it wasn't realistic. My, my, my theory is that, now granted, this is one of those situations where the, Lord has, the Lord's sovereignty has come in and said, this child is going to be born. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you believe. I've already said this child's going to be born, and he's going to be born. It really doesn't matter. You really can't do anything about it now. But he also came in and said, but he, what else did he say? He said, this child, um, he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Well, he wanted Elizabeth's pregnancy to be a joy and a delight to her, so he just shut Zechariah's mouth. And so that's what I want to propose to, you, to all of you. Because, granted, <clears throat> one of the main meetings of hope is expectation and looking for. And it's true. We receive what we're expecting. So if we're expecting and we're looking for the goodness and the faithfulness and the provision of God, then that's exactly what we're going to experience. And if we have no hope and we're looking for disappointment and difficulty and trial and, and issue after issue and after issue, then that's what we're going to experience and that's what we're going to see as well. That's, that's just the truth of life. That's just, that's just how things work. So the question is, but sometimes God's mercy comes through that. Sometimes we get what we don't deserve. I like to have conversations. Um, I've, I had a conversation with, with um, a guy who um, believes in a higher power. So he doesn't really believe in Jesus, uh, but he does believe in the universe. And he does believe, um, you know, that there, there's, I don't know if you heard, you know, Oprah loves like the secret, you know, where like, you know, you, whatever you say, whatever you think, you put out to the universe and the universe brings it back to you. But the thing, the, the, the thing with that is, 
Um, I mean, it's fine. But if that was true, if, 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 the uni- if, if our higher power is not this God, this man named Jesus who loves us, and it's just a, an ethereal, you know, higher power universe that just kind of, like a slot machine, just kind of dishes out what you put into it, you know, emotionlessly. I'd be living in squalor right now. The things I put out there, guys, let's be honest for a second. The things I put out there sometimes, if I got those things back, I would be living way worse than I am right now. Let's, let's just call it what it is. It's the gospel that we don't get what we deserve. The gospel says we don't get what we deserve. The gospel says we get better than we put out. The gospel says that Jesus puts it the best of himself inside of us so that we can then begin to put out good stuff. The gospel says we don't have anything good in us anyway. He puts the good things in us to begin with so that then we can begin to put good things out. So my question to all of you is, who are you with this story? Are you, maybe, you're, maybe you're Elizabeth. Maybe, maybe you're the person that's hoping and has a dream and something. And I'd be curious, how many people are in this room, how many people are watching who have shared a dream, shared a vision, shared a promise, shared a word with the wrong person, and that dream was left on the floor? And what I want to tell you is, God is not a realist. God's an impossibilist. Jesus says that he, with him, all things are possible. And what the enemy has done, he's taken hopelessness, repackaged it as realism, and sold us a false bill of goods. Don't let anyone squash your dreams in the name of realism. When you have a dream and you have something that you, that you believe wholeheartedly the Lord has given you, you hold on to it, you nurture it. I think you should keep it to yourself for a little bit, pray about it, read scripture over it. And then when the time is right, maybe you share it with one or two people that you trust the most who will support you, ask good questions through all that. But treat it with care because people can squash it. Or are you Zechariah? Are you the one who has been waiting for something for so long? Have you been, are you the one who just been through so much in life that you've become cynical? Maybe you've caught yourself telling other people, well, I'm just a realist. Maybe you're the one who's saying that. And that's, God's not a realist. Again, God's not a realist. But again, like I said, God loves us. Jesus loves us incredibly. So I would just invite you to just remember all the times, like I was talking about before, when God gave you what you didn't deserve. God had mercy. God loves proving realists wrong. He loves doing the impossible. 
And so what I would challenge you all with is I actually get this, I, I get a feeling that God gets bored with us sometimes because we're not challenging him enough. Give him something to work with. Pray and believe for something impossible this holiday season. God loves proving realists wrong. He loves doing the impossible. That's all he knows how to do. All I'm asking is if, if, if you relate more to Zechariah in the story, if you know, you know, if you know that you have called yourself a realist in the recent past, just give God a chance to prove you wrong and pray for something impossible to happen this holiday season and give him a chance to do it. And I think he'll be surprised. So whether you are, whether, whether you feel like you're a Zechariah, maybe you feel like you're a, an Elizabeth, maybe you're a little blend of both. The Lord wants to give us hope. And you may, you may make it through your, your walk with Christ um, without hope, um, but it's going to be a really <laughs> bumpy ride, and you're going to get to the end in a, in a bloody, messy shape. But the Lord wants to give us hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of all hope. That in all situations, you give us reason to hope. And Lord, we thank you that, that maybe we, we don't have as much hope as we need, but our hope is growing. And maybe our hope um, isn't very pretty to look at, but it's getting stronger. And Lord, we thank you so much that you are our living hope. And Lord, I just pray for everyone who is watching, <clears throat> everyone who is here who has, has lost a dream because someone has talked them out of it. And Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, we're just breathing on that dream. We're breathing life back into that dream in the name of Jesus, that you do the impossible. That if, if, these, if these dreams, if these words are really from you, they would take life again in their hearts. And for anyone who, who is cradling and holding a dream right now, Lord, that you would just protect it. You would show them the next steps. You would give them hope for that dream in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and for anyone who just knows that their heart is hard right now, for anyone who just knows they've grown cynical and hopeless over the years, and, and, and maybe they brand themselves a realist, Lord, I, I pray that you would just soften their hearts, that you would show them your goodness, you would have mercy on them, and that you would soften their hearts and, and renew their hope in the name of Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that this is the season of hope and that we would have more to hope for than ever before. In your name we pray, amen.